All right, so shall we talk about the fears now? Yes. If that's so the question is, the fears, what worries you about our field? This one is very straightforward in, in terms of um, what we're after. What worries you? Um, so what worries me about our field is that if you were to kill it today, like if you were to just, you know, <laughs> drop a bomb on our field and our whole field is just done, gone, that like the thing on our tombstone would not be anything along that I would hope, which would be along the lines of like, despite their troubles, they got a lot done, you know, like despite the fact that they were, you know, an nearly all female field, despite the fact that they were considered teachers and therefore had to carry the burden of the education fields problems on their shoulders too. Like, despite the fact that they're a relatively new field and somewhat underfunded when it comes to research and stuff. Like when you look at our research past compared to other fields, we're babies, you know, despite all that, um, you know, they did a good job. I, I worry that, um, you know, if we were to kill it now, what would be on our tombstone would be much more along the lines of like, womp, womp, <laughs> like, uh, or like, um, well, nobody fixed it for me. <laughs> you know, like it just feels like um, our culture, the thing that worries me most about our culture is that we are not grabbing the bulls by the horn at all. Like there's a, there's individuals and little groups of people here and there that are. So I won't say there's none of that. There's definitely, you know, a fair amount of it, but not nearly enough. That worries me significantly about our field. Um, the other thing, the other major thing that worries me about our field is it's too easy for SLPs to be taken advantage of. On average, SLPs just don't say no. They don't say no. They don't ask questions. They just say, okay, and they do it, you know? And so this applies to interactions with their bosses, interactions with anybody in leadership positions, um, interactions with like their state association and ASHA and basically anybody who kind of ranks ahead uh, higher than them. They ask no questions and always just say yes. Um, and so with as much as I've learned, about, um, you know, in the, you know, years of doing the stuff that I've been doing within our field, the one thing that I just want to do is I feel like I just want to like grab the shoulders of the SLP field and shake them and be like, that you are being taken advantage of. You are being taken advantage of by people who are using you to line their own profit, line their own pockets, don't give a crap about you, and you're not thinking about our field or yourselves. And by way of that, the clients, you know, you're not thinking about the clients enough. Um, I think that, a, like, I think that this is just kind of the culture in our field. I think that we desperately avoid conflict. We consistently frame conflict as inherently negative. Just like I said, I did early on when I started getting involved in SLP social media, I was like, no conflict. We don't want any conflict anywhere here. That's, you know, it's always bad, always bad. We need to get away from framing conflict as negative because conflict and heat and pushing is actually the thing that I think is going to save us. It's going to get nasty sometimes. It's going to get gross. It's going to get uncomfortable. There's going to be times where you wish the conflict didn't occur and the conflict didn't happen, but it has to happen. It has to happen. Um, and I have like this, I just grabbed a screenshot and put it on my like notes for this um, <laughs> uh, episode. And I can put this image on our website. But have you ever seen like a chart where it's like, 
So imagine the two axes and you've got the Y axis, which is the up and down axis from And it's like assertive versus passive, right? And on, then on the other axis, you've got cooperative versus uncooperative. Do you have that somewhere? <laughs> the four quadrants of conformism is literally oh, the slides I'm working on right now. That's wild. Oh, look, we have the same brain. <laughs> exactly. No, literally, I don't understand how we're not a piano. Like, <laughs> Ebony and Ivory living in perfect harmony. I, somebody needs to play us. For real. We've got to go out to that song because it's it's so funny that you're explaining the slide that I'm literally working on by Paul Graham, which I learned through you, which yes. is in now all my talks. That's I that's amazing. I love that. <laughs> but for the for everybody who hasn't like studied this or dug into it or looked at it before, we'll put it on the website for this episode. But basically, um I think SLPs are way too accommodating. You know, we're too passive, which makes us overly accommodating and, you know, we're cooperative. And so by way of being cooperative, we think I'm, I'm, you know, I'm working with people, I'm doing the right thing, but we aren't working with each other or within our field or with people outside of our field in order to bolster our field in a way that's actually a little bit more aggressive. And so we end up losing because true collaboration as you know, obviously, I don't have to tell you now because <laughs> I've been on this path. True collaboration comes from being both cooperative and assertive. So um, those are the things that worry me most about our field that we're just getting walked all over. And it's our own fault that we're getting walked all over. So it's this weird oh, yeah. where I feel bad for SLPs simultaneously with being like, it's us. Like it's us, we're the only key to like making it not this way, you know? Yeah. I think a lot about what you said about the tombstone because I absolutely love it. At the end of the day, that is like the analogy that people need to be honest about. Will there be individual patients and students who say, my um, intro to communication disorders instructor changed my life. That person made me think in a different way. There will be anecdotes. Mm -hmm. all day. There will be an SLP, uh, a, a, a patient who had an SLP who said, um, the only reason that I was able to go back to my life is because my SLP, Cindy, was the most fabulous human being. What you're saying is exactly what we need to think about collectively, though, as a field. We, the complaints that we have about our field is what the world says. You will have a moment where you talk about Cindy and you talk about the comdist professor and blah, blah, blah. Those are anecdotes, but it's the denominator that matters. And what I mean is every time someone gives an anecdote and says, well, you know, I got the vaccine and I still got COVID. You're like, but what's the denominator? How many people got the vaccine and didn't, to our knowledge, get COVID? That's the number that matters. And that is the tombstone moment. Yeah. What is the denominator? That's what the world sees. Not that there are a couple of stories here and there of great moments where someone got to swallow again. Because for every one of those, there isn't necessarily a backstory. There's just no story. Yeah. And when there's no story, we already know people fill in the blank with, you know, what's going to be on the tombstone is like SLP, who that? Yeah. <laughs> we, I don't even think we've made a mark enough for people to feel it good or bad. Like who that, what that is? I don't know. What you talking about? Right, right, right. SLP, what would that mean? Right. You know what I mean? Like. I'm not expecting anything other than that because that's what I hear all the time. Unless they know somebody or has had a patient or a caregiver or been a patient or they're a caregiver with something related to our field. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I don't know what to say about what I fear about our field other than that. I mean, I do have a question for you related to that, if you don't mind. So that's the first, I just want to say how much I love the tombstone example, but I want to ask you, do you think, because at the end you said it's our fault and I get that, but I also think about the civil rights movement in this country and the fact that in the late sixties, there were a lot of tumultuous things that happened that just like George Floyd, that made the, the nation, nation stop and say, whoa, 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 what's going on? But even though you can definitely say that Jim Crow, the laws that kept black people from doing things that white people can do were systematic, clear policy lines that said, you guys are less than we are. Within the community of black people who hated living that way, there was a lot of disagreement about how to not be the underdogs anymore. Mm -hmm. That is the truth. Now, certainly we had an identity in terms of things that we contributed to the culture. So if there was a black people tombstone, there'd be a lot of good stuff on there. People knew who we were. They misrepresented us. True. But in our situation, one, people don't even know how to represent us. But two, part of the thing with this with the civil rights movement is that their policies had to change. And the people had to at least agree. There are many people who hated MLK and Malcolm X. And they're like, you guys are making my life hard because you're raising up conflict. And when I go to work, I have to hear about how do you agree with Martin Luther King? And all I want to do is make my money and not get fired. So those tended to be the passive conformists where they're just like, look, it is what it is. I just have to worry about my kids eating. And then you have the independent aggressives like me that are like, okay, I'm willing to die for this shit because I'd rather live a shorter life that I like than a longer one around people like you <laughs> who don't know what they want to live this way. So even among the people who had the same goal, they wanted to be respected. They wanted the policies to help them. There was still disagreement. So I think it's maybe twofold. What do you think about the idea that maybe the biggest problem is that SLPs don't agree on how to do it and the level of discomfort, but they all want it to happen. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a huge thing. Like, like if, if 2022 were to be the year that SLPs put their foot down and they started aggressively, you know, getting rid of the things in our field that don't work for them, saying no more to the things that don't work for them and, you know, moving forward, it wouldn't be easy. It's not like all SLPs would jump on the sh same road and drive the same direction because you're right. There's a lot of them that would be like, you all are rocking the boat, creating problems. You all are, you know, too much. You all are. I don't like your style. I don't like your tone. I don't like your attitude. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying, but you, if you say it this way, you'll get results. And it's like, well, you say it your way and I say it my way. Let's all say it though. Your right. silence is the exact makes me sound even more brash because I'm the only one talking. Now you can't fall guy me later, send me a private message. It's like, oh my God, I totally agreed with you, by the way. Fuck off. Mm -hmm. At yeah. the time that I said it was a time to say, yes, I agree. Dr. Humbert is correct. Blah, 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 blah. Not to say, well, let's see what everybody's thinking. Oop, they don't like it. I don't have a thought, but I want her to like me. So let me message her later. Right, right. Oh, That's yeah. a bullshit thing that a lot of SLPs do and they've done it in any industry I've ever been in. Yeah. Every, every industry I've been in speech pathology. It's the, thank you for speaking up for us. Thank you for all you do for our field. Thank you for being the badass you are. But if you hear something happen at ASHA where they're trashing me, are you going to say anything or are you just going to come back to me later and be like, Hey girl, just watch your back. Well, what did you say? I mean, I didn't want to get involved, but I'm like, you know, that you can go in and no, but you agree with me. We talk about this all the time. So what's the problem? I just, oh, it's personal gain over the field. Okay. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I mean, humans are going to human, you know, everybody's <laughs> always going to look out for themselves when it comes down to it. Um, 
And you can't ever ask people to not look out for themselves a little bit, obviously, but less of that would be better. You I know, think you can't ask people. Well, I mean, going out on a limb more often. I think you can. I think you can. And if you, if you say we can't ask you to, then we, then you can expect no gains. Yeah. If they had no complaints about anything, I'd be like, you're right. I can't ask you to do that because you happy as a clam right now. But you're out here again. Remember, I preface it with we complain about this together all the time. We said we were going to make these comments about these things. I made them. You acted, you know, what I mean? that kind of thing. Don't yeah. if you have no complaints, then that's I get why you don't need to go out on limb. I really like the air I'm breathing right now. I don't have a problem with it in this room. Right, right. Why am I going to go out on limb and right now be like jump out of my building because it's it's not the perfect temperature. It's I'm cool. (laughs) I don't have a complaint. But the second I'm dying of heat, like I am about I literally am complaining that I can't breathe. Suddenly that balcony is looking real good to jump over. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right, right. You're talking. Let your let your let your let your behavior and your actions match your complaint level. Yes, yes, that's a really good message. And I love when you said humans are going to human, but what I usually would say is like, oh, there we go. Human beings being human beings, but it's like the same thing. Humans are going to human. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. So, what, yeah, what so those are, those are, those are valid fears. Those are also my fears um, slash drama. When I introduced it, I said drama, but same idea. Um, I spoke more about the drama. And specifically, uh, the drama that I have is everybody loves an underdog story until they realize that they are the sneaky, underhanded, insecure, bully antagonist pushing down the little guy who's actually talented with more ideas, more grit, that is the protagonist. Everybody thinks they're Cinderella in the Cinderella story. But what people need to understand is it's not possible for you to be the protagonist in every story on the planet. Sometimes you are the antagonist. Sometimes you are the uh, larger blonde bully from uh, Back to the Future messing with Marty McFly, who actually just is a a little scared child on the inside, but is bigger and has everyone's afraid of him. And you know, you use that power as well. And for me, the drama is exactly that, that everybody doesn't realize that the underdogs are often the ones that take risks. And they're not the guy that's just getting beat up with for nothing. In these movies, the underdog is the one who has the capacity, the potential, the karate kid who had every disadvantage, but still had that spark, that talent, that grit, that that ability to to see an idea and go, actually, if we do it this way, it's a little unconventional, but blah, blah, blah. And they're the ones who often get trashed. And the thing is, the people who are doing it, they don't think that they're that bad person in the underdog story. They're not the guy from Karate Kid who threw like sand in the eyes just before the other injured or like stabbed them in the side. And like, uh, remember at the end of Gladiators, he just like did a little like jab in his side just before their fight because he knew he couldn't win and he needed to win in front of everybody. Nobody thinks they're that guy in the story. But in most things in our field, if you're opposing an idea because it makes you uncomfortable, all the things we said, then you are that guy stabbing somebody in their abdomen just before a fight and concealing it so everybody sees you win. When that person actually really belongs to be belongs on top or be, their idea should have some breathing room, even if it makes you uncomfortable. And so for me, um, I just think that um, the same the same people who the same people who won't admit that are also the people who have leadership positions. 
So the drama, I have two bits of drama. One is that when, and this is in the Black Rockhead article I wrote about being in speech pathology, which is when, by the time I went to Dysphagia Research Society for the first time in 2006, um, you know, I was like in science wonderland. I could not believe that all the people whose papers I read every single one of and had notes in all the margins in my my hotel room, like a, the biggest nerd on the planet. Like, hi, I'd like to quote you right now, like the like seriously nerdy, that these people, for some reason, I walked in thinking, but if, you know, we're talking about science, it'll be okay. Virtually none of them would even look me in the face and acknowledge me. And like I said before, my mentor at the time, Joanne Robbins, was and is a big deal in swallowing. And she asked me, hey, how, how are you liking your first meeting? And I was like, people aren't actually as friendly as I thought. And I'd name names and say who, and she would take me right back to those people and say, this is Dr. Inessa Humbert. She worked with Christy Ludlow at the NIH. She's done studies on blah, blah, blah. She's presenting in a special panel, blah, blah, blah. She studies this, she's now my postdoc. And together we're working on uh, lingual strength in the brain and also blah, blah, blah. And suddenly those same people had all the spark behind They're like, oh my God, yes, yes. We talked before, she is brilliant. Fuck off, right. you barely looked at me. Yeah. And then when I come back with Joanne and she gives this big introduction, you have shit to say, these same people think that they are not the antagonist in someone else's story. They think, oh my God, it's just DRS is so busy. And I just, I mean, I didn't know you, I'm so sorry. It had nothing to do with anything that you're thinking. Oh, mm -hmm. really? Then why did you get so excited when Joanne did it? If it has nothing to do with anything, she should have had no impact. You should have turned away from it. It's like, yeah, I already saw you next. Right. If it right. was so valid the first time. So my issue is, again, this is, this is the same thing. And these people are still there. And the funny thing is, somehow I have to protect their character by not telling the story so I don't get slammed. Mm -hmm. By telling my story and by virtue theirs, I'm the one who gets afforded more negativity because I told the story of who said what and when, who said the N-word in what meeting, who said Black people can't perform in what meeting, who said those things, and then backed it up, walked walk back from it later and sent an email about how they're not a racist. Yeah. What about when you have hard data and these people who think they're the protagonist, they fight back because they don't understand that. Our field is filled with this. And that is at the science level, at the institutional level. I mentioned earlier the Gulf group that I have and that folks at ASHA were actually talking about the extent to which I should be brought up as somebody who's violated ethics because I had the nerve to have a conversation about sex with a sexual health expert. And they're worried that maybe some people might think that SLPs talk about this stuff. Now, what's interesting is that there are other groups of people who don't look like me who do the very same thing who are actually working in ASHA in certain committees. Um, and I just find it really interesting that I hear the drama surrounding it. No one, none of those people talk to me. They talk to people around me. Hey, I have a concern about- End up getting the story by way Exactly. Of so it's yeah. your whole thing about courage and saying, do you want to deal with the issue of our field or do you want to, or do you want to um, uh, masturbate to Ianessa Humbert right now? Again, can you get off my job? Seriously. Right. Can you do that? Because talking about me is not fixing the problem that nobody knows what the hell we do, one. And two, that Asha still will not say that instrumentation is necessary to see the pharyngeal phase of the swallow. That to me is a bigger issue than that I talked about um, the gag reflex with a, uh, a sexologist. Right. So, right. and also it's so silly to be talking to other people about it and not me. If you really think that I may have done something and you're concerned about me, don't water it down through the telephone game with your cups and string and hope I get the message unless you're just 
gossiping. Oh, wait, you are just gossiping. Yeah. Yeah. And that actually hurts our field more than anything else. Right. So that to me is the drama slash fears of our field that the actual people in it don't realize that mostly they're the antagonists in all these underdog stories that they cheer for. That's the role they play. Yeah. That's so true and wild to like frame it that way and think about it that way. Like in which stories of the interactions in our field and the things you're doing and the things you're saying to people and the things you're interacting, you know, the way you're interacting with others and interacting with your clients, in which of those stories are you actually the problem character? The problem character, you know? Yeah. And at I'm the sure. end of every Scooby-Doo, they unmask them. Mm-hmm. And say, it's Mr. Cloaks from the library. It's always a prominent motherfucker. Right. It's always the least likely person who gets uncloaked by these meddling teenagers riding around with their little dog and their hungry ass skinny, um, you know, shaggy, who, you know, these, these people should not be uncovering all of this stuff. They should not be. And they keep going from place to place to get blocked every time they think that something's awry about these things. <laughs> and then every time they uncloak these people and it's always some head honcho of the so-and-so, you know, from the kitchen or from the so-and-so and yeah. they never have a story. They, these guys don't have a story, but none of these people actually think that they're the person walking around haunting other people haunting people with their foolishness, with their little passive aggressive stuff, where they, your paper didn't get accepted. Well, I mean, we kind of felt like it didn't go along. You mean you didn't, it counteracted your theory? Mm -hmm. You mean you really liked this particular exercise and I said it didn't work? Yeah. Just say that. Let's be the scientists we say we are, non-biased and all. Right. Right. I like that you said that it's always some prominent motherfucker because it, it is. And I think I know why. Why do you have a theory for why? About why it's always a prominent person? Because, yeah. because the people who get to get, get to be in those positions have to be around long enough to get those esteemed positions, be they editors or presidents of associations or head committee members or president of ASH or whatever it is. And by then they had to know the system and how to get there. And getting there is more by who you know and you're schmoozing rather than what you know. The reason people like you and I will never probably end up really being an ASHA president. The reason MLK would never be president back then is because he's not, not only is he getting assassinated first, but he was speaking the truth to power that did not want to hear that shit. So the power shot him. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's definitely part of it. The, you know, the path that it takes to get there and the things that you have to take to maintain a position of leadership right like that involves some of that type of stuff, but also you're, like, you're maintained if yeah. you maintain without question. Right. Um, I think also though, even if you are, you know, you're like, I'm going to be someone who gets into a leadership position, a position of power, and I'm going to be as, as ethical as I possibly can. You by way of the power that you hold, hold so much responsibility for so many other people that of course it's usually going to be you. You know what I mean? Like somebody at the bottom of the power hierarchy isn't holding other people's fate in their hands. The higher up you are, you are holding other people's fate in your hand and no, hands. And there's going to be bad actors at the top of there. There's going to be people who never should be trusted at the you know top of these power chains. But then there's going to be average people and good people who sometimes just screw the hell up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because so. 
I, I think, yeah. but you know, you know, everything you're saying is really true, but based on the four quadrants of conformism, we know most people are conventional thinkers and far fewer are independent thinkers. We know most people think that they're independent and they're self-aware and they're skeptical because it's popular to say those things right now. That's why they think that, but it's yeah. not because they're actually, mindfulness is all over the place. We wouldn't have to talk about mindfulness if people were actually mindful. They'd be like, why are we talking about this? It's boring as hell. But suddenly now everybody's so mindful. And you go to a, like a store and they have the mindful menu. I'm like, what is this food? Is this kale going to make me be more introspective and remember the moment when I was 10 and so-and-so did this to me? No, it's right. just a catchphrase. And we're going to replace it with something else. But the problem is that there's this illusory superiority that people have in terms of their capacity to capture their own thinking and really channel their best selves into the world. No, they don't. Most of us walk around in clouds of all yeah. the things that we're obsessed that people are going to say about us and act react to that we don't proact in our ways because most people aren't independent thinkers and if they are they're passively independent and they just they're the dreamers right so they're the people who say things like uh you know i just wish that everybody would get along so we could really have this progress because yeah i have great ideas but i don't want to get into it and then the aggressively independent minded people like us you know we're more likely to be jailed (laughs) right right yeah this is true. <laughs> You're like, speak for yourself, lady. Yeah. I'm sitting here thinking in my head, oh, my, my husband would be like, no, you're not. <laughs> Reel that in. No, you're not. <laughs> exactly. And you make a good point. You make a great point. A lot of people want to do it, but they think so much about the people who are relying on them as much as the people who say bad things about them. Some people yeah. don't give two shits about who say bad thing. They're like, I have so many people who are relying on me. And you know why I got more, vo- more vocal? It's because I left academia. There was nobody who could say, well, your salary's at risk, your position's at risk, your pr- promotion's at risk. But there's also a bunch of students who don't have to worry about not getting a paper published because my name's on it. And I said, I didn't like so-and-so theory. And I went to the microphone and asked a hard-ass question. Now your whole lab is black blacklisted and anything coming from this lab. And that's their career. And these things happen everybody I want you to understand Meredith and I aren't just saying random things what we're saying are things that have actually happened and the only reason I'm not dishing out names is because it turns out to be petty and salacious as opposed to promoting progress it becomes about who gossiped on who as opposed to what is wrong with the system so I'm getting as close to the line as I can without making it about that but the the shit is real if you piss somebody off in the science world or the administration world because they and, and you, intentional or not, and you can be totally right. And everybody will email you up and say, oh, my God, you have so much courage. You were right. People will watch you get blacklisted. And the best that they will offer you is something's coming down the pike. Watch out as they jump out of the way and act like they didn't tell you. And this message will, dis- dis- uh, will destruct in five minutes kind of thing. That's what will happen. And the system will always fail. Yeah. That's actually one of the things in, you know, not to that depth, but it's one of the things that um, freaked me out about academia and caused me to want to leave when I got to the end of my PhD program. Because the more I understood how it worked, the more I started to dislike some of the systems that were in place and the hoops that I just didn't want to jump through. Like, I just didn't want to have to jump through any hoops. And my initial kind of like dream of, I just get to be a curious person and ask questions and investigate things. And I get to spend my whole life asking questions and doing science experiments, you know, like once I started seeing the reality of what some of those hoops were, I was like, I need a break. (laughs) Like I need a break. Yeah. Um, I think all of these fears are valid and 
our fears slash dramas are valid. And I'm sure people have a list of their own, which we totally want to hear um, as we get ready trans- to transition to the next one. Meredith, the drama, how have you been targeted for not going with the status quo? Oh, I didn't even really realize this was a thing actually until I became a business owner. <laughs> like, because I can remember, I can remember some things that I did as a PhD student, but really not, none of them are that big of a deal, mostly because I think when I, I was, you know, when I was still early in my career and still young, I wasn't as assertive as I am now. And I did a lot of preventing myself from doing things that would rock the boat. So I didn't go against the status quo that much. So I don't have that many stories. I mean, I would control myself constantly as a doc student. Like for example, um, shockingly, I wanted to talk all the time and I had things to ask and things to say just constantly. And so I would do things like make myself a rule that in any class period, I can't raise my hand more than twice because I realized (laughs) that it would be socially, you know, um, and unacceptable. Um, but not much from then. Um, when I, when I was an SLP, I got threatened with a lawsuit. That's kind of a fun story. Um, so I was at the tail end of working in a school district. We had new SPED administrators. And um, I had spent one full year working with these new SPED administrators. They were awful. They took like basically what was a fantastic schools job where I was super happy and loved it to just a nightmare of a situation. And so um, I wanted to find another job. And I ended up finding another job that I thought that I would really like around October in a school year. And in the, in the schools, um, it is very much frowned upon to leave your SLP job in the middle of the year. You can, like legally you can. Um, but so I gave them my notice and the SPED administrator threatened um, me, got me on the phone and told me, we are going to sue you for every dime it costs us to replace you. So if you think you're leaving, you better realize that. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and got off the phone and I'm thinking in my head, they can't they can't do that. Like they can't do that. Can they, you know, as I'm like reading my contract again and everything, um, I ended up having to, um, contact the state education association. So like, um, school-based SLPs, a lot of times will belong to their state education association in addition to their state SLP association, in addition to ASHA, which, you know, um, but the reason I belong to my, uh, state teachers association is because I wanted their attorneys just in case, you know, cause I'm a paranoid person and lo and behold, I needed them. So those attorneys ended up contacting the school district and being like, there's nothing in her contract that says that, you know, you can do that, blah, blah, blah. So I just ended up having to write a thousand dollar check in order to exit that contract. And they let me out of it. Um, but they had me thinking that they were going to take me to court for, you know, over a month before I actually left that. So Um, that's a decent example of being somewhat targeted for rocking the boat. And in hindsight, like the more I started thinking about it, um, in the, you know, latter half of the year after I left that job, I was like, I wonder if they did that to use me as an example, because you know what happened the second they did that, like I got off the phone, I did like a lap around the school building with, for a few deep breaths, you know, came back in sat at the lunch table with all the rest of the SLPs and we're sitting there eating like our turkey sandwiches and our carrots. And I'm like, you know what this, you know what so-and-so just said to me on the phone. And so all the other SLPs knew about it right away. And nobody else left that year. Nobody else left that year, even though it was a terrible situation. And so my best guess is that 
that was part of it. You know, <laughs> you show some, you show somebody your power by using somebody and doing something to somebody. Nobody else around them is going to misbehave because they see what happens. You know? Yeah. No, it was definitely a scare tactic. Yeah, totally. Which I didn't really realize at the time. At the time, I was just like, oh, this person is loonier than I thought she was. Yeah. Um, but nothing that happened when I was an SLP or a doc student or a faculty member even begins to compare to what it feels like to be a business owner, especially the bigger my business has gotten. So um, before I like give some like examples of things that have happened and people are like, holy crap, that's wild. Um, I want to, I think it's important for us to preface it by saying, um, at least for me, my opinion on the situation is for anyone who's in a leadership position. So like right now I'm essentially in a leadership position. I have a relatively good sized business within our company or within our field. I mean, um, you know, I'm in a state leadership position. I'm super active on social media. I own multiple Facebook groups along with other admins. I have a huge Instagram account, all this stuff. I asked for all of that. And with that comes feedback. And I think that it's a huge red flag to ever see someone in a leadership position or see someone who's trying to obtain a leadership position who thinks that they have the right to not receive feedback. So when I say things like, oh yeah, like, you know, I'm receiving negative BS like on a weekly basis, that's not me saying, I don't think that should happen. That's just me saying, hey, this is some of the stuff that happens behind the scenes. You know, this is just the type of stuff that happens. These are some of the interactions that happen. Um, I think that I have to continue to receive all feedback, no matter what form it takes. That doesn't mean I have to believe it. That doesn't mean I have to act upon it. That doesn't mean I have to respond to it necessarily, but I have to at least receive it. So I just want to like preface by saying that because I see a lot of people out there who are like, um, you know, think that it's okay to delete, block, or censor other people who are attempting to give them feedback. And I think that an individual pretty much never is capable of doing that without blocking genuine feedback. You know what I mean? But anyhow, that being said, um, yeah, we get a lot of feedback because our social media accounts are so big. And the interesting thing to me is the dirtiest and nastiest stuff that happens is um, almost exclusively from fellow business owners. And they fall into two categories. So it's almost always people who perceive themselves to be either in competition with me or perceive them or perceive their business to be at risk because of my business. And then from there, it tends to fall into two categories where it's people who sell misinformation and pseudoscience junk. And they think that it's a personal attack when we post research that goes against it. Um, the other category is people who think there are competition. So people who think they sell the same thing that we sell and therefore would rather we just plain didn't exist. Um, but the pseudoscience ones are the funniest by far. Um, I had somebody go off on me one time because she thought that a series that we posted about tongue tie, where there was a whole bunch of like recent journal articles on tongue tie and what it means for speech and swallowing and stuff. And she had a course launching that same week that basically butted up against what we were posting on Instagram. She thought that I did it on purpose. She thought that I did it on purpose. And we're like, don't you dare come after me like this again. Like, I'm going to, you know, sue you. Like, you are awful, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, 
holy crap, like, I don't know what courses you're launching this week. Like, this is not a personal attack. This is just me sharing the science, you know? Um, but that happens a lot. Like there are a lot of people that loathe me as the head of the, in, the business, the informed SLP, purely because they sell stuff that the science indicates is maybe not like the best option or whatever. Um, I also one time, uh, had a, who I'm pretty sure I know who it was, but, in, but I don't know for sure. Um, this was like three years ago. So like this, this type of stuff has been going on for years on a regular basis. I had somebody create a, um, fake, um, Facebook page that was called, um, uh, armchair SLP de-identified. You couldn't tell it all who had created it. You couldn't tell who ran it. They made an announcement post that like, you know, we're the armchair SLP. We're going to tell you the truth about the SLP world. Post number two is all about the informed SLP and how terrible it is. Um, and how like all you do is, uh, or all the informed SLP does is sell abstracts. Um, and like all this like crap that just, you know, um, about how terrible the informed SLP is and how it's bad for the field or whatever. Um, that post ended up getting a lot of traffic, but the traffic was entirely from people defending us and being like, eh, if you think they sell abstracts, I don't think you're actually reading their content. That's really not what they're meant to do. And like, you know, like politely being like, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. I'm sorry, but what are you talking about? Um, that account ended up disappearing about a week and a half after that, because I think the like grand idea to like go anonymous and go after our business just didn't end up working like it didn't end up working out in their favor um but yeah like the dms the all sorts of stuff and sometimes it's things i can't predict either like recently we had um this was maybe like six weeks ago we had posted science on signing and speech for deaf children and ended up having a bunch of like listening and spoken language therapists get really, really pissed off at us and just flood our email account and flood our Facebook and Instagram accounts. Um, and I had no idea it was about to happen because I didn't even realize like there would be drama between what this journal article said and, um, you know, some of the things that they teach or whatever. It's, it, it can be um, quite the shit show. Um, but it also is sort of like, it, it just kind of rolls right off of me anymore. Like the amount of stress that it causes for me over time gets lower and lower and lower because I'm just used to it. And it also feels like the same pattern over and over. So like when people come after me and attack me, they always say the same things. And so it's turned into like a script that doesn't feel like genuine new, like new attacks, even though they think it's new. I'm like, oh. I've heard this for years. Like it's always stuff like um, some version of you're not a clinician, so you don't see the stuff that we see. And I'm like, yeah, no kidding. That's why over half of my staff are SLPs. Like I, I employ SLPs on purpose. I employ both PhDs and SLPs on purpose, my friend. And I am not giving any like clinical advice lectures anymore because I don't do that anymore. So I'm like, next, you know. Um, another common one is, um, science just hasn't caught up with the real world yet. So you might be in the world of science, but you have no idea what's actually happening in the real world, um, which is also sort of a funny one. The whole science hasn't caught up with the real world yet because while there's a vein of truth in that, because that can be true sometimes, 
it's most usually not true. Like if there's something that works and something that's actually working for clients, that would make a scientist's career. You think they're naive enough that this thing that clinicians have been doing for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, you think they don't know about it? You think they've never heard about it? <laughs> so like if it actually worked, that would make their career. You know what I mean? Um, but it's it's the same story across fields. That's not unique to our field. I mean, um, that happens to science communicators in like nutrition and stuff too, where they'll be like, you know, we discovered the key to fat loss that scientists don't know. And we're like, oh, mm -hmm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that scientist, if there was, yeah, if the scientists would find out, they would know and they would run studies on it, trust me. Um, but it's always like the framing of two different realities. Um, but in general, um, yeah, most of, the, most of the negative stuff comes from fellow business owners. And that's kind of, I mentioned, you know, earlier in our first of these three episodes, that's the thing that kind of creeps me out a little bit about being a business owner is how wildly um, non-collaborative and aggressive it is, it just, it, it, it continues to surprise me all the time. And I know that I shouldn't be surprised. And I know that if I can, you know, remove the element of surprise and just accept that this is the way it is, but um, it's, it's wild how much our fields businesses attack each other. And um, I actually created a Facebook group um, for SLPs who are in business, um, I guess it, I mean, I guess it, maybe like six months ago, nine months ago, um, because I was like, you know, a lot of these business owners, like we should just be in spaces when we're, where we're openly and transparently interacting with each other more rather than just privately DMing the few businesses that we're like cool with, you know what I mean? Um, and just sort of talk about some of these awkward things more often. But I feel like anytime I actually bring things to the surface within this Facebook group that everybody's talking about privately, it's like crickets, crickets. No, nobody wants to talk, talk about it. And it, it actually kind of drives me bananas because when I go to ASHA and have like, you know, cocktails in the evening with fellow business owners and we're all sitting around, a hundred percent of the time, the conversation focuses on which business is mad at which business and what they're secretly doing to take each other down and all this gossip and all this drama and all this crap. And it's emotionally exhausting. You know, everybody, everybody does it, you know, but then as soon as you try to bring it to the surface, even in a relatively small group of people, everybody's like, no, we, we're nice to each other. We love each other. Like, you know, we collaborate. We're good. We're good. And I'm like, that's not true. <laughs> like nobody's saying it, but that's not true, you know? Um, and so, yeah. Um, interestingly, I'll, I'll, I'll end with one other thing, you know, kind of like following up on the fact that most of our bullshit comes from fellow business owners. Um, we get a lot of negative, or I shouldn't say a lot. We get negative feedback from SLPs too. But when we get negative feedback from SLPs, it tends to fall into two different categories. The two categories are they're right and we didn't realize it and they helped us fix something or there's a misunderstanding. And as soon as we like clarify, we usually are able to come to a resolution. So like we'll get nasty grams from SLPs too, but it, it tends to be that, you know? Um, and that's why nobody should be blocking negative feedback because 
even with all the crap that's going to get thrown at you, like a lot of it, you know, if you are running a business or in a leadership position or you're a social media influencer, or, you know, you're sitting on a board of your state association or something like that, you've got to accept all of it and you've got to ask for all of it so that you can get the gems that are in there. Um, and then slowly, sooner or later, you'll get gradually used to all the crap that comes with it too. And anybody who's in a leadership position has to just deal with that, you know, like you asked for it. <laughs> I asked for it. So I'm not going to, you know, complain yeah. too much about it. Yeah. Wow. You said so many really, really, really good things. And I wrote down a few notes again, us not knowing what the other person is going to say. And you made me wonder, do you think that personal and professional are really truly different or is this something that people have said? So for instance, I don't know if you know where the idea of professionalism comes from. You've seen one of my talks where I talk about it is a white male Eurocentric model that this is my professional life and that's my personal life. And these are usually men who left home to go build this world where they didn't wanna bring outside factors in like the moms and the kids and the outside stuff into work. And they could, they could afford the luxury of this illusion that that's a thing. Um, that nope, this is all professional. It's not personal at all. When they did very personal things to people, especially ones that didn't look and act like they did. And that was their way to get away with that. And I'm wondering if whether or not we're suffering here because we want to be able to say that, oh no, it's totally professional. Like you were saying, those business owners that get together and have a drink and say, oh my God, that other business has been trying to crush me or those two hate each other. And then in front of everybody else is like, no, it's totally cool. And part of it is the consequence of being honest with the people who actually want to know the gossip is a bad idea for the people, for everyone involved, because we know people can't handle it. And your story and the truth behind it's not going to go through the way it actually happened. But don't you think this is all couched in this idea that we can actually separate personal and professional when you're just one person taking in streams of data and feelings and stimuli and you, your one brain, no matter where it is, is still the same brain. Yeah. It's still the same. You have the same childhood, whether you're walking into a bar with your friends or walking in to give a talk at ASHA, it's not going to change. You don't get to erase those things. So maybe the big issue with these dramas you're talking about is people give nasty grams because they think they can get away with it like road rage because you're not a person anymore you're a car and they don't realize there's a person at the under, other end of that and you're a person that and you would never say that about their shoes but you will say it about their business knowing it's all to tear them down right 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 yeah i think i think in general the business world operates on pretending as though people aren't involved they pretend that it's all about money and revenue and numbers they pretend it has nothing to do with people, which is what makes it easier to underpay people. It makes it easier to, you know, do absolutely whatever it takes to take out the business next to you because it increases your revenue when they are, you know, gone. Like that the business world, yeah, convinces each other that it that people are uninvolved when in reality it's all of our lives, you know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> and I do think it is, exactly. And I do think it is possible to say that um, this comment is not about you. It's about that product yes. and that product, those colors um, might not draw the eye toward our target in this thing. Should we make it red? And so if you're like, this person doesn't think I know how to do my job. And that can happen where the comment really is about the color choice, but they say that color the person who made that color choice is saying, oh, now you're talking about my capacity to do my job. And you're, you're at this moment, people are really conflating or confusing 
are confounding those two things at all times. So rather than act like they're ever separate, just say at any time you can be playing from both and or either or neither. And I can't explain anything, but if you give me the benefit of the doubt that I'm a authentic human being whose job is not to crush you, then we'll get farther. Right. <laughs> right. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the other, did you want to say something about that? Okay. So I was going to say the other question I have is about this idea of feedback versus feed forward. I don't know if you're f- familiar with um, this feed forward thing, but uh, feed forward is the reverse exercise of feedback. It's the process of replacing positive or negative feedback with future oriented solutions. In simple terms, it means focusing on the future instead of the past. And so you're always going to get feedback about what somebody didn't like in the past. Mm-hmm. And it could be benign, like, hey, this link didn't work. I couldn't download so-and-so with this laptop. Oh, shoot, that's a technical thing. Or you don't understand anything about what you're doing. If you knew you were talking to clinicians, you wouldn't have your job right now. Like that kind of thing. I don't know why anybody buys what you're selling. It can be that. But in your head, where do you see feed forward being something that's more um, helpful if people could actually figure out how to do that? Like if you could change all all the feedback to feed forward, do you think that would be more helpful? Or do you think that you are so feed forward minded that you take those gems and you're already thinking about solutions? So it's not really that much of much help for you for them to be positive because you're so calloused in the right ways now. I don't need them to be positive. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's more solution oriented. Yeah. I just don't need them to be, which, you know, it is maybe not the right thing to say because everybody plays a role in our interactions, I guess. But at, at this point, honestly, I don't expect people to be again, like, because we're operating fairly large social media accounts. And because we interact with a lot of people, I don't expect them to edit what they say in order to protect my feelings as the business owner. I expect for them to just info dump whatever the heck it is they want to info dump to me. And it's my job to then take that information and figure out what to do with it, both, you know, feedback for current things that we have up and running or feed forward for things that we're about to do. Um, but I mean, for human to human interactions, like, if, like, like I can only behave that way because I've done this for long enough that I've, I'm used to it. You know what I mean? But I think in human to human interactions, maybe editing the way you say things to people would make a much bigger difference. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're probably spot on with that. And maybe that's a solution for somebody who hasn't grown as much as you have, which is, all right, I'm going to take these things in. I'm going to hear them as objectively as I can, so I can continue to do this job. Because sometimes feedback can hurt Mm -hmm. um, everybody. Um, or you can take it to me and I'm not good enough, whatever it is. And then maybe have a column where you actually take the feedback and you have another column next to it. And you call that column feed forward. You're like, if I had to rewrite that, how would I rewrite it in a positive forward thinking solution oriented way? And then you start thinking that way anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if it, there's a, there's nothing in that column, it's because it's just a non starter and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so- everything is solution oriented. Sometimes things are just benignly useless. <laughs> right, right. Um, when I was asking friends and fellow SLPs and stuff, um, what questions they wanted us to answer in this sort of like ask each other questions series, one of the things um, somebody said is they really wanted to know how you and I deal with everything that's thrown at us and how we've developed relatively thick skin. How would you answer that? 
Well, I think we know how you and how you've developed it because you inserted that in part of your story. Um, I'm just going to say a very simple answer to that because people have heard previous conversations at some point, but um, white supremacy makes it pretty straightforward for me. Like if you are always the person who's accepted, expected to be good at all the bad things and bad at all the good things, when people initially look at you um, and don't know what to expect other than what they think your demographic does, then you have to go in with a certain level of resilience that not only am I probably better at your best employee in, or your best example in this job, but I have to, with grace, help you to see that so you think I'm nice enough to work with, but smart enough to show you up in a way where I can show you how wrong you were. And it's a very fine line. The example I like to give is if there's, if you're in the city, you'll know that there's a lot of cat calling and um, sometimes men can be threatening and you have to find a way to both be, um, you got to shake them with a firm no, but not be so nasty that they think you deserve to be hit. <laughs> That's just the truth of it. There's, there's, there's this firm, friendly line that women have perfected mm-hmm. with how to deal with a man who might be a little bit too threatening, but not so much that you need to scream and, sc- and grab the mace. But like I said, no. Yeah. But you don't want to be like, bitch, get the fuck out of my face. Now he's hitting you, right? right? So that's the level of, and I get that as a woman, but I also understand what it is to be Black in this world. And I get it doubly. So the things that happen, it's just like, yep, I actually go in expecting the worst. And I don't even hope for the best. I just go expect the worst and make the best of whatever yeah. the hell happens. I don't, I don't hope for the best. I make the best because hope is nothing to me anymore. Yeah. Doing the work and finding the successes where I can is the only only currency I have because all that hope usually leads to disappointment because humans are going to human. Yeah. 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 I think I'm more just delusional. (laughs) You said delusional? Yeah. No, you're not. You know what? Since, um, if, if I I was going to actually transition to fears, um, based on what you said. And so I will, I will jump in with when you said uh, you're delusional. I don't, what my biggest fear, not biggest, but one of my biggest fears is that one, there aren't enough people like you in our field. And why are you the example? The first thing is that you match the majority of the field. So when more people from your demographic are like you, the, the opportunities for change are huge. You are already given a pass because you at least look the part. And that will mean that at least, even if you totally flunker, you're successful, at least there's less of a barrier to go through to break the skin, to even get into the fruit, (laughs) to get some nourishment. You can actually get through that tough skin um, faster. Um, But when a lot of people do that, they end up cowering. So my concern is that people end up in those environments and they cower. These are the people who send me voicemails and calls and say, There's somebody at the top who doesn't think that, you know, uh, queer people should, you know, have whatever privilege or they should be get, you know, whatever thing that someone else gets. Or they said this about um, the cultural competency thing or they said so and so. I'm just so shocked. Okay, do we really have to work through your shock so we can get work done? You have to call and and re-traumatize me over my life because you need help. And we've had these conversations and you are so quick with the turnaround. And I think that your inherent capacity 
to understand yourself and other people is a thing that most people can benefit from. You don't hide from the realities of what the way humans are based on everything you've experienced. It may not be a race thing. It may not be a a sexual orientation thing. It may not be a, a class thing. We've talked about so many things. The point is people like you are risk takers in our field. We talked about how important that is. Mm-hmm. Um, there are more people like you in our field um, and in terms of like white female, and you're willing to take a little bit of heat um, in order for progress to be made. So it's, it is about you, but it's also about the field and where it needs to go. And you're willing to say that those are things that every, a lot of people think they possess, but most people actually don't in, in reality. And I know it because you put yourself out there in social media in various places, and you've also had these positions where you can influence, be it at the state level, at the ASH level, et cetera. So I really wish there were more people with qualities like that, partly because I think I'm way too far down the line in terms of the continuum of what the field needs. Because genuinely, I have, I'm so very happy, right? Yeah. And when I complain and I cuss, I'm happy the whole time. I'm fired up and excited. And that's the state I like to be in. I'm not burnt out at the end of the day. This doesn't exhaust me. It bores me. Yeah. I'm not exhausted by this fight. I am bored by it. Um, And so for me, uh, my fear, as I said, is there aren't enough people like you and the people like me, I'm already heading out this field. I am clamoring to get out in any way I possibly can. Not that I won't have, like I said before, it's sort of those swallowing related educational opportunities. Those won't go away. But the extent to which I create anything new that is going to be about improving this field directly, like this, this podcast to me was a direct way to help to improve the field by getting our voices and ideas out there. Right. I won't be doing these things anymore because they have diminishing returns as far as I'm concerned. Um, I don't mean this podcast. I mean, developing any new products or -hmm. any new lines of things, because I feel like I've saturated the extent to which I can do anything more at the level that I'm at. Um, I'd rather be looking outward more and there, I think our field, they're losing a lot of people like you and me. And even like, look at Tara Sumter, mm-hmm. right? So she's a lot like us in these ways, very fiery, very much like, I don't care about the status quo. She's somebody I put in your category. And those people are immediately obvious to me. There are other people who've taken risks and build businesses, but it's also to schmooze up to getting that invitation or to, to get that, um, you know, sponsor that event so they can be seen. And they recognize what the, what, where the powers are. They recognize a couple things and we're the same way, right? So you and I, and maybe two people like that I'm talking about where they're more gonna schmooze, we all have the same complaints, but we all have different tactics. You and I are to sort of speak truth to power. And then somebody else is more like to speak nicely to power so that uh, they get in there. And then when they get in there, then they'll change everything, but they won't. Yeah, it gets harder. It gets, it harder. gets harder because how do you how did you not get that shit on you when it was flying everywhere? We literally looked in that glass house and said there is shit flying everywhere in there. Everywhere there is shit. And we say, world, do you see the shit flying in that glass house? And somebody else says, it's true. So let me go in there, turn the fans off. And then you guys can come in. They go in there and they get shit all over them. Now they're tainted and they can't talk to us because we're like, you were the person who was supposed to do something. Now we're talking about them and they're against us. <laughs> so and everybody else in their glass house is following them around, turning the fans back on. And they just get a, They're just like, a <laughs> exactly. Just exactly. They're like, I don't smell anything. I've habituated. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I guess, well, my message related to that to people is people always assume that 
I don't experience like stress or anxiety or things aren't scary to me. Um, I think the important thing to realize is that at least from my perspective, for me personally, it's not that things aren't hard. It's not that things don't make me sweat. It's not that things don't cause me to like lay there at night and be like, Oh God, what did I get myself into? It's that it's just the choice to keep doing it anyway. It's the choice to say, it's okay if this is scary and it's okay if this is embarrassing. And if it's okay, if this feels uncomfortable, like I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it anyway. <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know what it is? You know, those, those um, really fierce athletic competitors who are very shy and introverted have horrible anxiety and they kill it every time you hear about people. Like I heard that um, Beyonce has two, like, that's why she has Sasha Fierce. She has to turn that on to get on the stage, but really that's not the way she is in her house. And you might be imagining her just like flinging her hair everywhere and dancing on her countertops with high heels and whatnot, just yeah. to make eggs. And you're like, she's probably like, no, I'm just really regular and quiet. I want to hear anybody's no, you know, and there are people like that where that they can rise to the occasion every time it wouldn't be the occasion that they look that they would choose every day but they recognize that this is the thing that they've given the gift they've been given and this is the arena that you got to play the sport in, and it's tough yeah yeah and i'm i'm quite i'm a little bit the opposite which is i actually rather enjoy this i i i get exhilarated by the idea that i can get to know somebody in their opinions that are, that was the, one of the first things I said, which is I get bored if I'm around people with exactly the same opinions as me. Um, when we talked about our characteristics, um, and for that reason, I would very much love to be on all of these committees, these state committees, et cetera. But I already know that I'm not going to lay down when, and if they say something, well, we've always done it this way. Right. Um, and so for me, that's a bit of an issue because I rec- recognize that I'll be spinning my wheels and I won't get anything done. Um, and I, I commend the people who are willing to be on those committees for the long haul because they know that this is the way progress is made here. Slow and methodical. You have to wear people down and they have the stamina to do it. And they're not being, um, you know, talking out of two parts of their faces. They're not backstabbers. They're not, they have genuine interest in changing the field. Their way is just different. And I admire people who can stay on those committees, stay the course. We need people like that too. I just think that they're not the only ones who should be in those positions. I think you do need your Olivia Pope from Scandal to be an outside person, to be like, um, not to handle things, but also to handle things. Like, do you need, do you need me to go down to the state association of so-and-so and get you some instrumentals? Cause I'm coming. Right. <laughs> right. Let, let me know where I got to put my little white hat on. I will be there because yeah. I'm just better outside of the industry. And that's where I live. But I appreciate people in the industry who have to stand in front of the microphones and say these things. They have to be president. They have to deal with all the personalities. They are doing something important as well. Right. Right. Well, thanks everyone for a year of listening to the Evidence and Argument podcast and for being here for this Ask series with Ianessa and I, where we talk about the joys, the dramas, and the fears of being in the field of speech language pathology. And I would encourage you all to answer these questions as well and participate in conversations with us around them. We'll make some posts on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram um, in order to allow you all to comment on this as well. We also have a Facebook group dedicated entirely to this podcast where we can have more in-depth discussions with each other. So we welcome you to come chat with us there as well. 
So on Facebook, that's the Evidence and Argument podcast group. So the questions again are the joy. How has our profession allowed you to gain skills, build programs, and be fulfilled in your life? What are the things that we're really proud of in our field and really excited about, not only um, regarding things that have already happened, but things that we see happening now and things that we hope to happen in the future? And then the second question again was the drama. How have you been targeted for not going with the status quo? And at what points have there been maybe difficult drama to deal with in your career? Um, and it's important too to reflect sometimes on why those things happen and what we can learn from them and how we can use that to inform our progress going forward. And then that last question was about the fears. So what worries you about our field? And of course, what are we gonna do to make sure that those worries don't come to fruition? We'll talk to you all again soon and thanks, thank you all for listening. Thank you.